Hi, my name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. Now, regardless of who's communicating on today's message, the one ask that we have for you is that you would test all things by the Word of God, holding fast to what is true. That comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, if you are not a part of our local church, this is important. Please lean in. We hope and we pray that this sermon today would be a supplement and not a substitute for you leaning into your local church as your primary place where you're being edified. We believe that the Bible describes and prescribes loudly that the best way for us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus is to be around other believers in the context of consistent community. That is so important for your life. So without any further ado, I do pray that today's uh, message would be convicting and challenging and ultimately encouraging for your soul and your walk. Grace and peace. Today's message is titled, Five Cautions for the Christmas Season. All right, five cautions for the Christmas season. But it's also true that this would just be five cautions, honestly, for any festive holiday that we're experiencing as Christians. And it's really all about developing a wise approach, okay? Developing a wise approach for how we interact as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians during the holiday season and establishing a healthy understanding of what our part should be during Christmas. And we're going to give Jesus all the credit for what we learned today. Okay, so let's do this, family. Let's get ready and let's pray. Heavenly Father and creator of all things, I am keenly aware of the societal pressure to be chippery and happy this morning, just days before a multi-billion dollar experience culminates. It's our Christmas service, Lord, and all around the country, people are gathering right now with an expectation to see flashy lights and Christmas songs and children's choir and gift exchanges and a baby in a manger and three wise men somewhere on, on, the, on display. Um, but God, I am also keenly aware. I'm so aware that this day is incredibly difficult for so many people for so many reasons. I know that today and, and Easter represents for most churches and our church, one of the highest attendances of the year. So with all this to hold intention, what I desire above all things is to make much of you today, God, to point people to you as the light that can overcome the darkness, to provide hope, not motivational encouragement, Lord, but n not warm and fuzzies, but true hope, deep, robust, Christ-centered hope for the holiday and the ones to come in our future. May we look to you as the one who sustains our great sustainer. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. You know, first, I, I do want to take a moment just to thank you again for coming here this morning. You could have chose anywhere to come to church on a Sunday morning for your Christmas morning. And I just want to be honest. There's a lot of churches that are having their Christmas service today, and there are lots of flashy lights and bells and whistles, but you chose to join us here today at Redemption City. Or, let's just be honest, some of us didn't really want to come today. We wanted to stay in bed, but you made a decision maybe to just honor a friend or a loved one. And so, thank you. We are thankful for your, your presence. And obviously, you didn't just come to hear me kind of ramble on. You came to either do two things, to worship the God of the universe 
or to honor um, a commitment. So, so let's do this. So let's talk about Christmas because it represents some of the best times of our lives, right? The Christmas season. Some of us, it's the best time of the year. It's when we come closer with our families, we get to discuss things, we get to have um, just family connection time around the fire. And for some of us, let's be honest, the holiday season, particularly the Christmas season, is the worst of times. And I wanna, I wanna see if we can live well in the tension between that this holiday can be the best of times, but it can also be the worst of times. So I wanna begin with a few disclaimers because I, I don't want you to misinterpretate today's sermon and think that I'm the Grinch that stole Christmas, okay? I'm like, whoa, man, five cautions for the Christmas season. I just wanna have a good time. We're gonna have a good time, but I believe that we're gonna redeem what a good time is, right? We're gonna see what God says a good time is and what it isn't, because it's not my heart to be the Grinch that stole Christmas. In fact, I want to share five things that I really love about the Christmas season, okay? One of the things that I really love about the Christmas season is the sound of the crackling fire. Come on now, you guys, everybody starts using their fireplaces, going to your friend's house. I love moving my chair. I got a disability, so having someone move my chair next to the fireplace and, and reading a good book, that, that I love doing that during the Christmas season. Um, I also love putting on my favorite Christmas music as I watch my lovely wife and the kids set up Christmas decorations. You know, I, I'm more of a watcher than a participator, but it's fun, right? They got the Christmas music on, and she's setting it up, the kids are being kind of, they're arguing usually. Let's just call it the, come on, let's do the, the real Christmas story. This is a hallmark. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. So they're arguing. I love that experience. Um, I, I also love going um, as a family to look at Christmas lights. I don't know if anybody does that. We, we, we used to love doing that, um, especially in California, going to different neighborhoods and seeing just, man, how beautiful people can make their homes with just some simple lighting. And probably the biggest thing is I absolutely love the awe and the wonder and the excitement on kids' faces during this, this season. You know, it's just, it's just amazing. It, it, it was one of the hardest things growing into an adult. I was like, man, I don't have that same awe and wonder that these kids have. It's more of like, ooh, how are we going to afford these bills and stuff, right? But, but the, watching their faces is amazing. But... I also know that Christmas can be a really difficult time, and we're going to have a different kind of service today. We're going to have more of a conversation. And I think about Christmas of 2015, actually. And on that day, though all those beautiful things were still around me in 2015, I had a much different experience Christmas of 2015. In fact, I'm going to share with you an excerpt from my journal. I'm going to have um, Ezekiel read it in just a moment. And it's not the whole thing, but it's a piece of it that I wrote that day. And I've never shared it with anyone, not even my wife. No one's ever heard of this, not even my closest friends. Um, so um, it's rare that I even pull out that journal because it's close to my heart. But we're going, to, we're going to look at that right now. It's three days from being Christmas, and the whole world is excited and laughing, but I'm not. I'm not laughing at all. I'm freaking nervous and overwhelmed. Lord, I'm having an absolute terrible week physically, and no one can even see it. Because, I'm, because I've been given the curse of pain that is invisible to the naked eye, my pain is underneath the skin. Abba Father, I haven't slept for more than three hours in the past three days. My arms are burning like fire. My spine feels like it's going to explode. And no matter how much water I drink, my throat hurts and remains parched. And I'm so utterly exhausted. But yes, I know, there are more important things for me to concern myself with besides my pain. Like my young wife who is searching so desperately for stability, joy, and a sense of normalcy. I just don't know how to provide that when there's nothing normal left in one cell of my body. But I can see in her heart that she's hurting. She's not very happy. 
She's truly trying to push forward. This is not her plan, nor her desire. In this time, her husband, the strong rock, uh, the strong rock I've always been for her cannot answer the call. It sucks so much because I'm trying to rise up, but I can't. So, this is our story now. Oh yeah, I know both my children are expecting excitement from their parents on Christmas tomorrow, but all I want is to sleep deeply without being in so much pain. I also know my kids are getting older and they know our family is different. And it breaks my heart that we give them so many no's that Jill and I never dreamed we would have to issue out. But Lord, I know you are so good, so big, and so capable of rising me up to be what I need for the people I care about the most. Therefore, I resolve to find some joy for my kids. I'll be strong to create as much normalcy as possible for Jillian, and I'll resist the temptation to stay isolated, alone in my room. But God, I'll need your help on Christmas. In fact, your help is simply not enough, not good enough. Carry me, Lord. I'm so tired, I'm not feeling merry on Christmas at all. Thank you. Um, you know, if I'm being honest, uh, that moment felt like pretty much the end of the world to me, or at least close to it. Uh, truthfully, I've never, I'll never forget that type of loneliness and just the moment of being in, in that much pain during the Christmas season. I have been very fortunate with my mom and dad. I, they put on amazing Christmases and it really represented the best of times. But as I experienced that catastrophic injury to my brainstem that I'm still working through today, the holiday seasons really took on a, a more sobering reality for me. Um, this is my first Christmas um, or holiday since 2012 that I'm not in some pain or I have a setback usually around my birthday. Um, I've missed part of my daughter's birthday even last year. This is the first holiday that I'm like relatively feeling okay today. And, and I praise God for that. Um, but that was my Christmas reality. And I'm sure that my wife felt the same way with a friend that we were ministering to about a Christmas after that. Um, it was a coworker from a previous job that she was at, and she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She had two daughters and a, and a husband. And um, Jillian was there for her, and we fought with, through that, but eventually her, her friend passed away and cancer won out. And those two beautiful girls and their dad have been left with a huge waking gap just around the Christmas season, and that has changed how they experience Christmas forever, right? Um, today, those, those same two girls and their father, as they prepare, what, were four days from Christmas, they're going to have a, a different Christmas than, than some of us. Does that make sense? Um, I also think about another family, Julie and I got to um, really know deeply that we care about. Um, a totally different scenario, but the, the, the devastation was, was similar. And um, a couple who had been married for multiple decades, divorced, um, pillars, um, in our in our church and now that family is left with pain and hurt a broken family broken kids and I can assure you that when this season comes around during Christmas and they have all these traditions that they've built for multiple decades there's going to be a lot of pain and it will not be the same not the same best of times for that family this is their Christmas reality right so why am I telling you on this? Like, oh my gosh, I thought you said you're not going to be the Grinch. Well, I'm telling this because I'm trying to set the stage for a balanced set of emotions for us as Christians. Are you tracking with me? We have to live, look, and experience joy differently, markedly differently. As Christians, we need to understand that everyone right now during the Christmas season is not chippery. Everybody's not having a good time right now. 
and we are God's ambassadors, and we're called to be sensitive to these things. We can't care so much and obsess so much over all these superficialities that we miss our moments that Christ wants us to be a light. But we can't be a light for anyone if we're first not having the the right inner world for ourselves. We have to be cautious of the propaganda in the culture that's pushing that says to have a Merry Christmas means I have to be happy and chippery. I believe God is calling us to something much deeper. Amen? Amen. So whether Christmas is profitable for us as believers depends entirely on what we make the season about. It depends on what we choose to focus on. I want you to repeat after me. Christmas, Christmas. for me, me. depends entirely entirely on what I choose choose to focus on. on. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6 for a faithful, faithful, biblical focus. I want to share with you some important foundational building blocks to sort of set the stage up for how we can wisely interact with Christmas. I'm inviting you to be a student learner, a, a true disciple, not to just to sit back and, and expect me to do all the work. It's not going to happen today. You're going to need your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You got your program. You need a pen. We're going to come. We're going to work hard so we can redeem this holiday. So this, this, this letter right here, 1 Timothy ch- chapter 6, it, it begins with Paul writing a se- a several different groups of people, three groups of people to be exact, okay? So he begins a chapter addressing his words to slaves. This is important, okay? And he directly talks about those who are under slaves, or the ESV is going to call it bond servants. I want you to look down. So you're not going to be looking at me for the next couple minutes. You're going to be looking down. I want you to test all things, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, and to see what I'm seeing. So you see that first verse, let all who are under the yoke as bond servants. So this is what you see. Okay, and then he specifically addresses the slaves who have what he calls believing masters. This is the second group, okay? Now, this is not gonna make sense. You gotta follow along. You're gonna build a a wise bridge. Believing masters, so he writes to them next. You're gonna see that in verse two as you're reading on your own in verse two. And then finally, he broadens it out and he talks to anyone who teaches a different doctrine, or we can call that a heretic. That is occurring in verses three through five. You guys seeing that? So he starts to, he's now addressing them. Now, I want you to read that even on your own as devotionally for your family, okay? So these are the three groups of people he's talking to. And so Paul ends with the word, and this is where we're going to focus. So Paul ends with the word to those that believe godliness is a means to worldly gain. Do you see that? That godliness is a means to worldly gain. Or, or let, me, let, me, let me make it make more sense for you. That being a Christian... Being a believer that the end all and the be all in how we walk that out is for temporary happiness, pleasure, and fulfillment. He talks about this. And for me, that's one of the most heartbreaking realizations that I've seen in church and in ministry is when people, specifically pastors and leaders, get into ministry for the wrong reasons. And I want to talk about how that affects all the way down into the church, its people, and how that trickles into our holidays. Many, many leaders in ministry and people get into ministry for money, fame, power, influence, and this is, this is like my pet peeve, the worst one, and fun. Instead of deep, soul-aching desires to pour out their life 
to actually teach people, disciple people well on how to live out the call on their life. I want to say this is important. This is an ownership for, for, for my people, my clan of leaders. So many of us are in it for the wrong reasons. So because we're led by cowardly abandonment, we are worried about whether our influence is big, building big churches, and then we don't lean in to our primary responsibility, which is to raise up a faithful church to walk out actively the call upon our lives, which affects how we integrate with culture. And as a result, Christians are not growing up into maturity and they're not navigating life well. And we're becoming more and more like the culture. You tracking with me? We're called to be distinctly different than the culture. See, ministry, somebody needs to say this, ministry, being a Christian, walking it out is not fun. Anybody who's been walking with the Lord long enough knows this is true. That, you, you wouldn't use the word fun. Being a pastor is not fun. That is not a good adjective to describe being a pastor or just being a Christian. Oh, what's, how's it being a Christian? It's fun. Who would say that? No, 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 it's not fun. You would never call being an ambassador to an all-out galactic battle for people's souls, fighting against darkness, coming out of sin. That's not, that's not fun. I can always tell when I'm in the presence of a young pastor or a new believer, when they say, I'm having so much fun. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're, you're growing, <laughs> you're learning, and that's a great place to start. I'm glad you're having fun. But as you grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord as a believer, and especially as you grow deeper in the call as a pastor, you realize that fun is not a good adjective to describe what you're doing. And it's really sad because it's a tragedy when church leaders and Believers don't grow into maturity so that we step into being all that God has called us to, do, to be. So Paul knows all this. Okay, we're going somewhere. So Paul, he, he, he knows all this. So he sets the record straight in verse 6. I want you to see this. He, so he's going, to set, he's going to lay this out when he clarifies what genuine godliness can actually mean, which it can lead to great gain, not worldly gain, but great gain. When, there's the key, when. It's accompanied with contentment. Everybody say contentment. contentment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's see that in verse six. But godliness with contentment. You can't separate the two. You cannot be godly without being all of the babies. <laughs> we, you cannot be godly without being content. Contentment is what will preserve your godliness. You tracking with me? When you lose the ability to be content with what God has given you, it dramatically affects your ability to be godly. You have to learn contentment as a Christian. It's super, super important. So this is going to lead to our first takeaway for your handout. True godliness, we're, going to, we're building to a big momentum somewhere. True godliness can lead to great gain for the Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian that has contentment permeating out of their lives from the inside out, not the outside in. If you try to find your contentment outside of yourself, presence and materialism and all these superficialities, all you're doing is increasing your appetite for more. Contentment comes from within, folks. This is a very important truth to remember in the Christmas season. 
Okay, so, so, then, so then Paul addresses those who long to be rich. Okay, some of us have been blessed and God has given us more. This is really cool. So then Paul is going to, he's going to address those who long to be rich and he declares that they are prone to fall into temptation. The more resources we have, the more we have to steward our hearts. We're, we're, we have a higher risk of falling into temptation and all kinds of snares and pitfalls and more. Let's look at that now in verse 9. I want you to see this for yourself. I want you to interact with the Word of God. So often in our church cultures, we're just going and we're hearing motivational speaking or we're trusting in the pastor. I want us today for Christmas to look at the Bible. Okay, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, this is so important during Christmas, okay, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay? Into ruin and destruction. Do you see that? Look at verse 10. Let's look at what, I want to go verse 10 too. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Okay? It is through this craving that some have wandered away. Wow. Wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, it's not only the love of money that leads to all kinds of you. I want you to hear this. It's, it's the root of all kinds, all forms, all functions of how evil outworks out of our life. Even, even worse, the type of craving of money and wealth has caused some to wander away from their faith. This should be a huge warning. This is dangerous. The love of money, the love of materialism, Paul's given us a strong warning. He's saying, hey, if you don't watch your heart, if you get caught up too deeply in your love for your possessions, which is equitable to the love of money, you have the risk of your eternity on the line. You have the risk of your soul. That should be a huge alarm to the people of God when we think about how we are going to interact with Christmas. So here's your important Christmas truth number two. The love of money, yep, it feels very, very, very serious right now, and I love it. The, the love of money is not simplistically the root of evil. It's not good enough. But the root system, you tracking? You got, you got that imagery in your mind? The love of money is like a root system going in all kinds and forms and functions of evil. This is, this is scary, guys. Therefore, each Christian has cause to pause. Hopefully you're doing that right now. As they examine the motivations of their heart, lest they wander away with great injury to their soul. We need to be slow. We need to think carefully about our love for money and possessions and how that leads to materialism on Christmas. We're going to talk about our kids in a minute because we are impacting them by the way we act. By the way, I just want to take a quick moment and say a quick word about those who desire to be faithful. So if, you, if God has blessed you with wealth and you're desiring to be faithful, I want to hold a few tension points together, okay? Because tension is really important. Because Paul is, actually shares a very powerful exhortation about those who desire to be faithful with the wealth that, that God has entrusted to them. And this is really important because it's actually unusual in Scripture. There's, very, there's not that many passages in the whole Bible where any author or any verse talks about those who desire to be faithful and are rich. It's usually just about those who aren't doing the right thing. 
But we get, we get, a, we get a, little, a, a little taste of an exhortation towards that, and it's very important. He, he talks about this in verse 17, the rich in this present age, okay, in verse 17. If you want to take a look at that, I want to invite you to. Um, he tells them not to be arrogant. You're going to see that, not to be arrogant and not to act superior over others, essentially, which is an easy thing to fall into, right? If you have a lot of possessions, you have a lot of money, it's easy to become arrogant with what you have, to think that you are better. It's an easy thing, okay? So Paul tells them to be careful, okay? So if you have been blessed with wealth in this church, this is what Paul's telling you. This is what God's telling you. Be careful with the wealth that's been given to you. Work really hard to put your hope in God. So when you as a Christian are interacting with these holidays and you know that you have a lot to give, be careful and make sure that your ultimate hope is in God. So Paul tells them to do three things in the verse. You can see this, okay? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to share it with you. Number one, he instructs them to be good. Okay, you're going to see that if, you, if you're reading it along. He instructs them to be good. Hey, be good. Be good people, wealthy. Number two, he instructs them to be rich in good works. Therefore, if God has given you a lot, be very generous with what you have, okay? And then number three, he instructs them to be generous and ready to share. We're going to talk about what kind of, what does that sharing look like? Be generous with, what the, with the wealth that God has given you and share. And it really is a glorious thing when the, um, those who are wealthy that God has entrusted with much are generous and ready to share. It reminds me of a faithful couple, um, babe, when we were in, um, in California at Reach Worship Center, there was this, a couple that God had given a lot to. And they were always so faithful to bless me and Jillian, just randomly all the time. And it, it really, really was always timely. It helped us to have some date nights that we couldn't have had. And they were generous and ready to share, particularly around the holiday season. It also reminds me of a, um, a multi-millionaire. Um, he'd, he'd, he'd hate that I'm sharing this right now because he loves to do everything in secret. But a multi-millionaire in our church, and he blessed our family by pretty much providing my entire salary and my full medical package for me and my, my wife and both of our children so that I could be a full-time, just one man, not the church, so that I could be a full-time pastor to help this small church grow. That was like 50, you know, a smaller church. And then it, and it did, it grew, it grew to uh, three, four, 500 um, people at, at its highest. But that wouldn't have happened without a wealthy family knowing that they were radically ready to be generous with what they had. They didn't take it as their own. They took it like it was God's. And they said, we want to equip this young, talented pastor. They brought me on and Reach Worship Center was able to grow. It's a beautiful thing. Hey, we have to not jump and think that automatically those who are wealthy are doing the wrong thing. Let God judge their hearts. But if you have been blessed with a lot, I want to encourage you to think during the Christmas season, how can you be generous to give a lot? So this leads us to important truth number three. If the Lord has blessed you with financial wealth, you have a huge responsibility to bless others. Okay? It's not yours. It belongs to God. Primarily through the church with generosity significant enough to equate with which that God has given you. This is how you will avoid the type of cravings that can lead you astray where your faith becomes compromised. I don't want that for you. Blessing others is faithful and it's a God-honoring way that you can give during the holiday seasons. Give to God, give to his church, and give to your church family, namely his people. 
Now, let's go back a couple verses to verse 17 if you're following along. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Towards the end it says, Let us set our hope on God. You see that? Let us set our hope on God who richly provides or supplies us with all things to enjoy. This is where we're going to start to build this, this bridge. It's going to start making a lot of sense. Who richly provides and supplies all things to enjoy. All things. So let's just allow the text to say what the text says. Here, here, here it is. Every season of the year which God changes, we should enjoy them. You following me? Every single season comes from God, and we have been called as Christians to enjoy them. Not to be negative, to enjoy them. Every good thing comes from the Lord's hand. Every good thing. And how wonderful are these good gifts. And I want to urge you, I want to exhort you to examine how good Christmas can No matter what you've been through, I've been through some terrible Christmases. God is declaring through Paul that every, every good thing comes from the Lord. Hey, you have a responsibility, no matter what muck and mire you're in. I knew that. Oh, it was hard. That's why I want to share that. I, don't, I really don't like sharing my journal, but I, I, I don't want to lean in with this exhortation and not show you the other side of Brandon. This was a hard Christmas 2015. I wanted to curl up. I didn't want to come out. I didn't want to do anything. I want to die, okay? But I knew, even in that moment, what God was calling me to do. I have a wife. I have a son. I have a daughter. I am exhorting you, no matter if you are having the worst of times, to lean upon the word of God that says that every good, everything is good that comes from God, including this Christmas season. How are you going to move the needle and believe that by faith, whether you wonder or not? Because your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, they need that from you. God is calling that out of you. Listen, people love Christmas, and that's a good thing, but we must now keep it in its proper place. So I want to read this. As Christians, Christians, we should embrace Christmas because we're called to enjoy every good gift. So, oh, that's fine. So let me share with you now five cautions so we can wisely navigate through this season. We're going to enjoy Christmas right week because we can do that. We're going to look at some right ways. We're going to look at some wrong ways that don't glorify God. And I'm hoping this will help you maybe start to have a different Christmas perspective. Okay, so here we go. Caution number one. Caution yourself not to substitute the temporal for the, inter the eternal. In other words, caution yourself not to substitute things that are temporary that you can't take with you for things that you can take with you into eternity. It's a really, really easy thing to do um, this time of year. Now I want you to turn with me to Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and this one's on the screen for you. Look, look at this in the Word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, this is, this is big, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is not a popular Christmas sermon, but this is the word of the Lord. What a glorious statement. And this, this verse is declaring that because he came, because he died, because he rose, we are hidden in Christ. Jesus coming to earth was God's rescue plan for us. 
The whole Jesus in a manger, the baby born, it's not just about warm and fuzzies. This is a declaration from Genesis, right, that this is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, and he's come to rescue us. This is good news. And listen, we all know that Christmas and Jesus being born didn't actually happen on December 25th. It could have been on March 4th, September 15th, November, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Well, it's a pagan holiday. It doesn't matter. Just leave it alone. What's most important for you to focus on, for me to focus on, for us to focus on right now during this Christmas season is that Jesus came. He lived a faithful, pure, perfected life. He experienced the pain and the sorrows of this world. He leaned into our plight. He loved us radically. He gave up his life when he did not have to. And then he exercised magnificent power by rising himself from the grave and ascending to the right hand of the Father to intercede day and night on our behalf. And that is what Christmas is about. Are you tracking with me? Everything else is irrelevant. That is what Christmas is about. So in our homes, we really need to focus on Christ and Christmas. I'm going to say that again. In our homes, are you focusing on Christ in Christmas? Or is your focus on the temporary things? I want to caution you from that. You know, in the Rochelle family house, we, we wanted to make some intentional steps to include Christ more in our Christmas once we had kids. And so it was not easy. Um, I have extended family. They were not happy. (laughs) And I got different text messages and emails and all kinds of things. They were like, you're taking our Christmas away. You're you're this, you're that. And, And it was not easy, especially being a young man. But I leaned in and I stayed focused because I declared to my life first before God, then to my wife, who honestly hadn't, she had, she was that super excited in the beginning, but over time she grew to love it. And now we have this beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to share a little bit with you because I'm a little private. I struggle. Pastor Jack's working on it. He's like my counselor. Okay. More sharing, Pastor Brandon. <laughs> um, so we, we, we do this tradition where we kind of look at, okay, well, when he, ta- Pastor Jack talked about it a little bit about the baby Jesus, right? They brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold. And so we kind of, if you walked into our home right now, you're going to see on the wall, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what that means, gold represents something that's precious and and, and adoring um, to, 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 it's like one of the most valuable gifts you can give someone back in the biblical times. Frankincense was something that you would adorn yourself with, right? Like like you would, you would use it as an adorning thing. It smelled, it was a fragrance, right? And then myrrh was something that was to help you cleanse your body, okay, to help you with sickness. And so we said, how can we leverage these things and teach our kids? So we're not trying to be like so far away from Christmas that they hate church, but how do we leverage what culture is doing in a way that brings it back. Does that make sense? Brings it back to Christ. And so instead of just permeating them with 50,000 gifts, which sends the wrong message, it's not their birthday. Are you, are you tracking with me? It's Jesus's birthday. You can't say to your kids that God is most important and then turn around and make them most important. They can't understand that. So our Christmas, there's not a lot of presents down there. Because it's Jesus' day. We sing happy birthday to Jesus. We give Jesus a present, which is our lives, right? That's the presence we give God. But we want to also teach them to have a good time. And so we get a, they get a gold gift, a gold gift. And it's something that they really want. But you know what we've seen in our, our kid's heart? They, they really appreciate it, right? You know, you know, the first two years, they got a lot of gifts. 
And they would open it, play it there for five minutes, and throw it away. And go to the next one, throw it away. You guys know how this goes. Within three weeks, I'm bored. Hey, what are you doing, parents? How are you leading them? We are creating a culture that says things are not valuable. But when they get one gold gift, they cherish it. They love it because it's valuable. Then they get their myrrh gift. Are you tracking with me? We're going to, uh, they get their myrrh gift. Okay, well, and we teach. There's, not, there's, no, there's, no, there's no ripping open the presence. We talk, we sit down, we go through the Bible. This is what myrrh is. This is something they used to cleanse their bodies with. So one year they got a Bible. They were so excited. We have it on videotape. I was going to show you, but then I'm embarrassed. They're like, oh my gosh. They got a, one, another, another year they got a journal and it's valuable. And then they had the frankincense gift. This is something that you love. You get to wear a cool outfit, a Nike pair of shoes or something. You know, something like, wow, this is something I get to put on my body. And then we move on. Then we eat. And then we go about our day. We don't sit and wallow in materialism. Uh, we're like, oh, I wish I didn't come to church today, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> now, we understand that there's a lot of families. There's a lot of families out there in the world, and they're celebrating differently. All right? Maybe some of you are. It's okay. So it's just a conversation. I love you. And, some, and, and a lot of people out there are celebrating Santa Claus. Listen, <laughs> now, me and, me and my wife, we don't go around intentionally bad-mouthing Santa Claus. We don't do that. We, we understand that Santa Claus is important to a lot of families that we love. Now, unfortunately, our kids are not as mature as us, and so they definitely go around telling all their friends that Santa Claus is not real. And they've made many awkward moments for me and Jillian with family friends. And oh, I, I try to teach Aiden, like, you know, and it, I love the purity of that because I'm like, Aiden, can you, can you not do that? And, but, Daddy, you said that this is God. This is, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so we have all these little awkward moments, right? Listen, as Bible-believing, because I'm coming, we're, we're, we're in service, we're in the text, but I want to disciple you to live well. Listen, Santa Claus, he's okay. But as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, we cannot teach our children to literally exalt. It's a type of prayer, right? It's almost like praying. Oh, Santa Claus. Why would we want our affections to point towards something that's temporary, mythological, when we can take, them, take those prayers to Christ? Don't allow Santa Claus to have God's spot. Amen? That's God's spot. It's not about being a, a Debbie Downer. It's not about being a Grinch. I'm saying move Santa Claus and give Christ his seat. Is, is that good news? <laughs> it is good news, okay? Um, that's, it's good, it's good. So here's important truth number four. Oh, oh yeah, I mean everything. The, the Christian family that celebrates and promotes Santa Claus within their home should prayerfully consider moving Christ to the center of their children's awe and wonder on Christmas because scripture commands that the believer is to set their mind. I'm just reading the Bible, guys. To, if, if God is calling us to set our minds on Christ, we can't set our minds on Santa Claus, on the things that are above. Seek first the kingdom. However, let us be gracious to those around us and how they celebrate. That's what's important. Don't go around beating up people about what they're doing. Focus on your home and let the light of what you're doing impact them. I've been doing this for six or seven years. Most of our family friends don't know that. We don't push it on people. This is what we do in our home. And I'm always ready to share when someone invites me to share. That's the posture. Amen. Be always ready to share what we are most excited about as Christians and whom we give the praise to. That is good news. We have a lot of young, we have some young adults in our church and I got to preach the gospel and I got to preach the truth so that they can do their families rightly. Okay. Caution number two, caution yourself 
from the personal danger of impressing people instead of imparting truth to people. Okay, this is the second caution. Let's read, um, let's give them a moment, um, but it's gonna, don't go there yet, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. This is going to be about not impressing people, but instead focusing on imparting truth. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I don't know of any better time than the Christmas season to be an ambassador of Christ, literally. I mean, just think about it. All across the country, there's songs being sang. Um, people's hearts are strangely softened. During, you know, everybody's kind of softened. We're, some people are in like a mild depression because they're looking at the bills or, or they're remembering loved ones that are lost. And there's an openness that a lot of people have in their hearts. It's a sensitive time of the year. People, for some, don't you notice how you kind of, you're getting around more friends, more family, you're starting to share, you're reflecting on memories. This is the critical time to share your story about, not the story of just what present you're getting or what you're buying your kids or what are you going to get, what are you getting this person? I'm getting my kid. This is a opportunity to be an ambassador of Christ in a sensitive season to share the hope of Christ. What has God done for you? What is God doing in you? And what are you hoping for God to do in you next? This is a beautiful time for you to share that. To share the story of Jesus. Folks, you can share the story with Jesus without just talking about the three wise men and the magi and Jesus in the manger. We want to continue to move past and through that part of the story because that's the beginning of the story. But it ends with the cross. But it really doesn't. It ends with him being resurrected. But, 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 but it really doesn't. It ends with him actually now sitting on the right hand. Of, but it really doesn't. It really ends with him coming back. But it really doesn't. He continues to do this. He's here. He's interceding. He's doing. It never ends. The story goes on. That's the gospel. Is that the story continues in Christ. And we get to continue. Praise God. What will the story be for you this Christmas season? With your children. With your loved ones. What will you focus on? Caution number three, caution yourself from the economical danger of spending more than you have. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. Caution yourself from the economical danger of spending more than you have. Don't spend more than you have, especially when you don't have a lot. Be careful about spending credit cards. I'm just talking to you guys. So just faithful teaching. Be careful with your credit card and adding debt. Be careful. Listen, you do not have to send a Christmas card out to every single person you've ever met in your life. I want to free you from this guilt. I'm going to say it again. You do not have to send a Christmas card and a present to every single person you've ever met in your life. Oh, I just met uh, uh, Johnny across the street. I need your email so I can make sure I get your Christmas card. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, God's not going to be angry with you just because you do not buy a present for every single one of your nieces and nephews. I know, I'm, I'm, man, I'm, Pastor Jack, I'm, I'm stepping on stuff today. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to say this, this holiday, I'm going to just buy presents for my kids. Next season, we're going to do just our nieces. Next season, we're going to do just our nephews. Next season, just our grandparents. It's okay. God still will love you. Spend what you have and not a dollar more. So here's three helpful, ten, um, um, helpful tips 
I want to give practical stuff to you to help you out because we are losing it as Christians in this society. We, we don't look any different. Here are three helpful hints. Okay, you ready? Number one, making your gift is almost always better than buying one. I want you to repeat after me. Making my gift. Oh, come, making my gift is almost always better than buying one. So if it's possible to make it, make it. You, I, you know what? I think of Vanessa. <laughs> she's always making things. Talk to Vanessa after church. She makes, she's a maker of things, okay? That's not in my sermon. But anyways, uh, some of you are very, very creative. Get going in your creativeness. It's a beautiful thing. Make something. Number two. Planning your purchases ahead is almost always better than impulsive purchases. I need you to say this against your conscience. Planning my purchases is almost always better than impulsive buying. Guard against anything that you would buy at the last moment. Not good financial stewardship. Hey, if it's really that good of a gift, it'll still be good in a few days. Sit and think. You're going to be okay. Relax. Breathe. Okay? It's going to be okay. Don't let your children pull you either. Oh, I need to have it. I need it. Oh, calm down. you got to be the adult. Halt. Pray. Respond. Halt. Pray. Respond. That's cool. All right, number three. Limiting your, purchase, your purchasing, purchasing list is almost always better than expanding it. Okay, limiting my purchasing... Oh, you guys don't like that. Limiting my purchasing list, <laughs> I'm having a real good time, is almost always better than expanding it. <laughs> hey, it doesn't need to have a large price tag for it to have meaning. It doesn't have to have a large price tag to have a meaning. Together, you and your family can decide to celebrate and maybe next year you can say, we're going we're gonna to decrease some of these price tags. You're going to be okay. Here are some statistics I, statistics I want to share with you. They're a little bit old, so it, it's, we're actually at a higher spending level now in America. This is going to be very alarming. It should be if you care. Americans spend, ready, $27.5 billion on Christmas each year. $27.5 billion. Do you know how much money it would take to rectify the entire country of Africa? 21, million, uh, 21 billion. We spend 20, oh, but remember, once you rectify the country of Africa one time, then it's rectified for, you know, until the next, it's done. And then Africa's fine because they can just live with a nice country. In one year, we spend $27.5 billion. How many, of, how many of us Christians are contributing to those numbers? You ready? 62% of those Americans claim to be religious Christians. Okay. 62% of the $27.5 billion comes from us. 50 million of that money goes towards gift rafting, gift wrap. $50 million in wrapping. So if you come over to our house and you see that we use paper bags, this is why. A hundred million dollars goes to trees that we throw away in two weeks. A hundred million dollars for a tree that you throw away in two weeks. Yes, we have a tree in our home, but maybe think about even what you're buying. 
by artificial one. There's things you can do to be responsible Christians. The list goes on and on, but we can't do all those. The biggest thing I want you to think is this. As a Christian, am I willing to move the needle to spend better, to honor God? Am I willing to move the needle? Can I invest some of those millions and billions of dollars into building his church and his people and not things that we're going to throw away within 10 minutes of our Christmas morning? Caution number four. Caution yourself from gluttonous tendencies. Say, caution myself from gluttonous tendencies. We got about 15 more minutes, uh, 15 more minutes left. Let's, let's, let's lean in. In other words, I'm asking you to caution yourself from overeating. So for the guests that are here today, yeah, at this church, we preach the Bible and we don't avoid topics because I love you deeply. And we talk about things because I want you to be healthy. Your life matters deeply to me. You have no idea. Listen, I'm going to try my best to tread lightly here. I know this is sensitive for some pe- a lot of people. Um, I grew up 275 pounds obese with over a 40-inch waist. And, 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 I'm ve- and I remember how insecure that was for me growing up. I never took my shirt off in a pool until I was like 20. Um, I know this is a sensitive area. I want to be faithful, and I want to balance grace, truth, and love. But I will lean in, and I'm going to. We have this really weird atmosphere in the Christian culture where we are quick to make comments about those who are addicted to um, pornography and are addicted to alcoholism and drugs. When we as Christians are addicted to food and we look down on them while we struggle with just as serious of an addiction to God as anything else, but we give a radical pardon for our gluttonous tendencies while we look down on others in their struggle. Don't do that. You hear me? Do not do that. We all are in need of Christ to help us through our addictions. So are you eating too much? And do you lose control during the holiday season? I, I, I can't tell you how many times that I would do that and wake up the next day and feel terrible about what I did. Stop doing that. Can you make the resolve this holiday season to cut back a little bit? Just a little bit. Make a step to cut back. Consider leaving a little bit on your plate. Just a little bit on your plate. Put it back in a box. Hey, here's, here's, here's a fresh idea. Instead of packing up 10 more days of food, like, you know, it's like, it's almost like a fight too. You know, the Christmas is over and all the extended family, no, where's my bag? Where's my bag? Instead of doing that, how about pack up the bag? Don't take it home where you continue to be gluttonous. How about this? How about pack up the leftover food and give it to another family that's in need? Perhaps give it to a homeless person. All you got to do is go downtown Portland, downtown Beaverton, downtown, name a city, downtown, and give it to them. Come on, guys. We're called as Bible Christians to be sacrificial. Why are you going? And, and, and the mentality is, I don't want to have to cook for the next five days. So I want left to get, be radically generous with what you have. My exhortation as your lead pastor is to take your leftover Christmas food and to give it to someone in need. And see how that not only impacts them, but how it will make you feel better about yourself tomorrow. 
If you can avoid right now getting sensitive and getting offended and hurt by this topic, there could be good news for you. Amen? Amen. Number five, caution yourself from the psychological danger of being um, built up for a letdown. This is, the, this is, this is the, one of the most important, and that's why we're going to walk through this faithfully. This is where people get hurt in Christmas. There's some people who hate the holidays because they're afraid of letting their heart get excited so they can get let down. And, and it's easy for that to happen. That's why we're going to walk through these final eight quick takeaways faithfully through the Bible to avoid that pitfall. Okay, you guys ready? This, this, is, this is where we land the plane. These eight things so we don't have to get built up to be let down. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to really pay attention. Okay, we're almost done. Let brotherly love continue. You want to know, how do I, how do I act as a Christian on a holiday? Here you go. For, for, forever now, you don't have to go to the Gospels only for Christmas sermons. I want you to come to Hebrews 13, 1 through 8, faithfully. Watch. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Oh my. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Wow. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. What a life prescription. And be content with what you have. You seen, you seen the wisdom for your Christmas yet? For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, let, I'm, I'm going to add a little thing. Therefore, you don't have to run around trying to find pleasure everywhere. God will be your pleasure. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. He's my present. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? Now, for some of us, you can see it all, you can see it all in there, but I want to help you to see it all. Here we go. We're going to march through this. Okay, number one, important takeaway from Hebrews to engage Christmas wisely. Here we go. Number one, during the Christmas season, let brotherly love continue always. That comes from Hebrews 13, verse 1. If you want to write it down, that's from verse 1. What are the relationships that you care about most in your life? Hey, do the right thing and invest in those relationships. That's what you're called to do in Christmas. What are the relationships you care about? Son, brother, whatever, friends. Invest in those relationships. Move the needle away from presence and materialism. Invest relationally. Don't let the stress and the hustle and the bustle, the hustle and bustle of Christmas distract you from extending brotherly love. Don't get irritable and, and all freaked out over the Christmas holiday. Calm down and extend brotherly love. Remove any bitterness and hostility from your heart. Focus on that. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, this is the season to work it out. Who are you not forgiving? Because it is taking your joy away. Brotherly love. Forgive everyone especially those who have wronged you deeply. Listen, remember, forgiveness does not mean that they're getting off the hook. What do I always say? No one is getting off the hook by you forgiving them. It's about freeing yourself from your personal prison of anger and hurt. Extend 
brotherly love. So here's, here's my question to you. This, I, this is not just a pretend question. I need you to lock in and to think. How will you put this exhortation of including brotherly love in the middle of your Christmas season for you and your family? How are you going to do that? I, I really hope that everybody walks away today and doesn't go, oh, that was a nice sermon, or oh, I didn't like it. I hope you actually say, God, how do I do this? Number two, during the Christmas season, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for they are invaluable to God. That comes out of the second verse that we just read. So, okay? Be marked by incredible generosity. Extend yourself, especially during the Christmas season. But here's, what, here's what's important. Don't just extend yourself to your kids. Are you tracking? Not just you and yours. Oh, you're not here. Don't extend yourself just to you and yours. Extend yourself radically in the way that Christ does. Jesus declared when he came out of a home, he said, Jesus, your mother and your brother have been waiting for you. And he says, who's my mother and my brother? He then turns away from his biological mother and brother, and he turns to his disciples. He says, this is, these are my mother. These are my brothers. My church family is the highest family I have. He wasn't dishonoring his mom and his biological family. He was teaching a principle of a higher family, an eternal family. Stop huddling only with you and yours and be radical in your generosity, specifically with those who are not your kin because they're invaluable to God. Who can you share your Christmas with in a radical way? I'm, I'm dead serious. Figure it out. Figure it out. Remember the alcoholic, the prostitute, the liar, the adulterer. They need a safe place too for Christmas this season. Consider this. We got a lot of guys wearing Any guys wearing their What Would Jesus bracelets? Can you lift them up? Come on, man. Yeah, like everybody's hands up. Hey, we're wearing this because we're trying to think when we walk around, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do when I'm at work? What would Jesus do when I'm talking to my wife? What would Jesus, what would Jesus do? Would he just sit there with, with, with his mom and his brothers? We already know he didn't because he was hardly there. He was out preaching the gospel. What, was, what would Peter do? Well, he was gone. That's why he had to go back to help his mother-in-law when she was sick. Get active. Get in the community. How are you going to take that seriously and be hospitable to strangers? How are you going to show your children that you, there's more than just themselves? Number three. During the Christmas season, remember those imprisoned as though you are in prison with them. That comes out of verse 3. We, we just read this. You see how much it's in the Bible? Jeez, man, this is so good. I love the Bible. It, who, whoever said it was boring? First, there is a very important literal reality that Paul is calling us towards. All right? So stay, I know we're, stay focused with me. There's a literal reality. So if you know anyone, in, literally, I'm asking you, if you know anyone in prison, even if you don't know them that well, go visit them during the Christmas season. Seriously, if you got family, friends, go visit them. Don't be so caught up in all your purchasing and all your family traditions that you forget and you neglect those who are in prison. They need to see you, but more importantly, they need to see Christ and you get to be the touch of Christ in their lives, guys. They're sitting in a cell all the time. Go visit your brother. Go visit your sister. Go visit your dad. Go visit your friend. Come on, go visit them. But then there's those who are imprisoned spiritually and emotionally too. Okay, they've been hurt. There's pain. They're not free internally. They could have had things that happened in their childhood wounds, and they're imprisoned during the Christmas season. How will you know who they are? They'll say things like, I don't want to do anything for Christmas. 
I don't like Christmas. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. They pull away. They're angry. They're sensitive. They're hurting and they're imprisoned. Lean in. Help those who are imprisoned because God has called us to enjoy every good gift. And Christmas is a good gift. We want them to experience it. Love them deeply and love them hard. How are you going to do that specifically? Literally going to a prison or helping those imprisoned internally. How are you going to do that in your family? Number four. So I'm giving you, you got these really fancy, these, you know why you got this? Because I'm not expecting you to remember everything. I'm, I'm like always, I'm giving you a lot so you can go home. This becomes your, this is your family discipleship tool. And I want you to be, okay, how do I do this? Do you know if you take this seriously, you go back through this, you can change your whole generational line. If you start taking this seriously, your whole kids. Okay, here we go. Now, number four, during the Christmas season, Remember those who are ill or have been mistreated because they are a part of you. That comes out of verse 3 as well. Isaiah 58 tells us to pour ourselves out for the afflicted and for the hungry. That's going to require you to step out of your comfortability and out of things that are convenient during the Christmas season. Now, let's face it. Most of us don't want to feel uncomfortable and we don't want to be inconvenienced. But as Bible-believing Christians, we're going to have to move out of our comfort and out of our inconvenience and enlarge that table. It's, 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 not really, it's, not really, uh, it's not really fun to be around needy people. Let's just be honest. It's not attractive to be around needy people who take from us. We don't always like that. But as Christ ambassadors, we're called actually to spend time with those in the greatest needs. And, the last, and let us not forget, we are the most needy people. And God loved us first. We are a radically needy ch- group of children. And God loved us in our need. Consider enlarging your dinner table. Provide for someone who's sick. If they're weak physically or, 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 or mentally, how can you help them through their Christmas? How are you going to do this this Christmas season or the next one? Number five, during the Christmas season, keep your marriage holy. Notice I didn't read the second part because it's at the center. Keep it at the center of your life. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse four, pay attention. Your marriage is an exquisite picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Mm. I'm going to say it again. Your marriage is the exquisite picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Therefore, if that is true, and it is, then Christmas is a beautiful time to have the righteous excuse to all the more keep Christ in the center of your marriage. Not each other, not your children, not your demands, not your wants, not your goals in life, not your retirement plans, but Christ. Keep Christ in the middle of your marriage at all times. Everything you do in your marriage, every action you take in your marriage is going to honor or dishonor God. Every short temper you have with your husband, every time you don't honor your wife is to the honor or the dishonor of the God of the universe. And your children are watching, the community is watching, and we're called to be a light through our marriages. Therefore, what are you focusing on, those who are married? Christ's blood or fancy presence? Heavenly realities or earthly realities? If I was a co right now, if I got up out of this chair, and I go over to the Redeemed Kids Bible Club and I set your child down and I ask them what Christmas is all about. Is their first response from their heart going to be anything to do with Jesus or about gifts? How are you discipling them? 
And moreover, if I was to ask any of our kids, including mine, I don't know what they would say, if I said, what matters most to you during the Christmas season? What would their response be? How are you going to move the needle in your marriage to keep Christ in the center so everything permeates out rightly? Number six, during the Christmas season, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That comes out of verse five. This is all what we just read. It's all there for you. you can, hey, listen to me. You cannot have everything you want. <laughs> you cannot have everything that you want. That's a good thing. We cannot have it, nor should we. The secret, you want to know the secret? I've been asked this probably more than anything. How do I, have, how do I, how do I learn to be satisfied in God? How do I have peace? Okay, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to whisper. Ready? By being content with what you have. Yeah. By being content with what you have. Many people compare their lives to others, and it leads to discontentment. Be content with what you have. Hey, if you find contentment in external things, you're never going to be satisfied. You're going to need more and more and more and more and more. This goes for your marriage, too demanding more of your husband, demanding more of your wife. I'm not talking about materialism now. Like, I wish you would have thought about me more. I wish you would have, hey, hey, Christ needs to be your source of comfort supremely. Husbands and wives are, are, are terrible substitutes for God. You will always be miserable in your marriage if you're looking for your spouse to be your Christ. God has to be your Christ. Be content with what you have, including the spouse that you have. This is good. Good news. Here, here, here's just some practical. Hey, consider writing down a list of everything you're thankful for. And maybe that'll help you to see how much the God of the universe has done for you. Number seven. During the Christmas season, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and bless them with your life, devotions, and words. Verse seven. This is right from the passage. Listen, some of you know, you know that you would not be who you are nor where you are without key, instrumental, influential, loving leaders, pastors, mentor, whoever they were in your life. I'm not saying that, you, that your mom and dad or whoever these people are didn't impact your life. I'm specifically talking about those who have literally impacted your life and moved the needle so that now you're on a track towards eternity. Are you tracking with me? This is what Paul's exhorting. Remember specifically who are those. So right now, many of us have made a decision to be radical with God. Who are the main people that have contributed to that process in your life? Instead of speeding up so much during this holiday season, what about slowing down and considering them? Consider writing them a note. Consider writing them and sharing, like, thank you so much for what you did and what you're still doing in my life. I would not be where I'm at if God did not use you. I am on a radical journey to eternity, and I wasn't. Thank you. I thought I was on a journey with Jesus until I met you. Thank you. Honor them. I need you to take this seriously. Hey, we're almost done. Walk in for a second. You are here at church today, and, and, and you're listening to me talk for about an hour, or wait, more than an hour at this point, about God. When five billion people are not, someone moved that needle. God used them. Honor them, Paul's saying. Share with them. You will bless their life. You have no idea what that would mean to them. Maybe you'll give them a call. They live out of state. How about investing a full hour in catching up and saying, look at all that's going on in my life. 
You guys will be so filled with joy if you slow down and you do these things in your life. I just want to, I just have so much to, I'll, let me say this last thing. I wear this bracelet a lot. Brandon, 1 Timothy 4.12. I just got the phone last, um, yesterday and her, um, her name's uh, Tina. She was a mentor when I was one, like 13 years old, right? Um, and, and, she, and it says, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. She wrote me a letter. She gave me this bracelet. It meant so much to me. She made such an impact on my life, you know, in that season. And I, and I just called her. And I was like, hey, thank you. It blessed her so much. I was like, you have no idea the impact you've made on my life. And you know what's beautiful? She still makes an impact on my life because she's, she's still there, you know? And so it'd be like, well, my person's not like gone. They're, just, they're still there. Even better because the people that are closest to us that are helping us, we, we often forget about them because like, oh, they know. Tell them. Use your mouth. Use your words. You'll bless them immensely. How are you going to do that this Christmas season? Now, let me share with you a, a couple of brief words before we do the last number eight, because this is really important. If I don't say this, this whole sermon is going to actually be unfaithful and it's going to cause a lot of problems. So especially you younger people that are hungry to start activating things, lean in. Perhaps the Lord is really stirring your heart today. And a lot of this is ringing true, even if it's uncomfortable. And you're like, okay, I'm ready to move the needle. All right, you're ready. Okay. I want to give you some wisdom <laughs> to help you do this rightly, okay? Because listen, we want to do everything in a way that glorifies God and people and not hurts people. I am six and seven years into what I've laid out for you. Husbands, honor where you're at in your story. If you try to go turn everything up, you're just going to make everybody mad at you and they're going to miss the whole point. Maybe this year, guys, we're four days away from Christmas. I know what the sermon's about. You've, you've already bought your presents. You've done the things. I get that. I'm planting a seed for your future. And I'm, and I'm actually trying to love your children well into their future. Here's what I want you to do to hold everything. I am, I am not detracting from not a word I've spoken today. I've prayed through it all. And I mean every exhortation that I've said. But I'm, there's also a way to get there. And there's a way not to get there. You tracking with me? Don't go blow up your Christmas because you've been emotionally moved today. You need to go home. You need to pray to the God of the universe. You need to talk as a family and make some, you need to have two things that happens. One, what can we implement in the next four days that actually is right and God glorifying? Blowing up your kids for Christmas because you came to church on Sunday, it's not going to do that. Maybe for you, it's just literally praying on Christmas. I'm not being funny. Some of us, we, we, we're so far, we don't even pray. Maybe you just start with prayer, a prayer to God, and then you do your Christmas thing, and then you get to do something more aggressive next year. Hey, young people in here that are excited to do things. Hey, if God hasn't given you your own family, wife, children yet, slow down. Maybe what you can do is pray that God would move the hearts of other family members that are not where you're at. We want to make Christ attractive. Are you tracking with me? Attractive. If you push Christ on people, he no longer is attractive. Well, then how do I make him attractive? Make yourself attractive. That's the hardest thing for young people. Live right and your life will be attractive. And people, will, I, I don't have, I, babe, tell, I do not go around telling people stuff. People come asking me about my life. I was just at the house the other day. Pastor Jack was like taking pictures of the wall. And I don't have, you don't have to push it on people. Your life will be attractive and they'll look. Just be patient. Just be patient.
Hmm. All right, number eight, final one. Thanks for hanging in there. During the Christmas season, remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That comes out of the last verse we read, verse eight. So why does this matter, that Jesus Christ is today, is the same as it was yesterday and tomorrow? Here we go, I'm gonna read this to you. Because in yesterday, we find throughout history what Jesus is really like, how he interacts with sinners, and what we see is a really good thing, isn't that? We see him loving and healing and doing radical things. It's important because in today, we get to have fellowship with the God of the universe, having supreme confidence that the same Jesus of yesterday and throughout history, who was radically generous to these people, is the same God who's going to be radically generous to us. And we're excited because in our tomorrows, we can have rock-solid hope that knowing that He will keep His promise as our great physician to fully heal and secure us all the way to eternity. Therefore, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what losses you've experienced, no matter what pain you're feeling in your physical body, know that God will be there every step of the way because he is the same yesterday as he is today, as he is tomorrow, and that is good, good news. We can hold supreme confidence that we are going to receive all that we need from our Father and that he's going to sustain us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for giving us this season of the year, but we really thank you for all seasons and in all time. We thank you for the holidays that are so valuable in our lives, like Christmas. It gives our families reasons to be together. It gives us an opportunity to put our arms around friends, and it provides us the opportunity to wisely use three powerful words with people that comes out of our hearts. I love you. It gives us the opportunity to hear laughter and great music and sounds of joy. It provides the opportunity to remember days that have gone by, mothers and fathers that have passed away, and sometimes children that are now in eternity. It provides the opportunity to remember all the things that have come from your hand, God. God, I thank you for each husband and father and wife and mother and daughter and son that's here today. And I ask that you'd give them a very special blessing and a very special present this morning. And that gift is you, you alone. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.